0: Happy New Year. No matter what kind of a student you were, maybe you remember the first day of school. Maybe the first day of school that you ever went to. For some of us, that's a greater challenge than others, but if you can strain back to remember that day, you went into class and maybe you had a notebook, you had just been to school and got, I mean, to the store and gotten, and you came in, and then the first teacher says, open up your notebooks, and there was that first page. In that brand new pack of paper. Back in the days when you did sort things like that, it was crisp and clean and fresh. And it represented that, who knows how it was going to end, but at least for that moment, you were as smart as anybody else and was doing as well as anybody else up to that time. And New Year's often like that. You know, we find ourselves when the page on the calendar turns from one year to the next. Looking at the bright prospect that now we have a clean page, an ability to begin to do for God something that has not been done before, and that is to serve him in this new year. It's not a secret, you can search the internet and find this very quickly, that the tradition of celebrating a new year is something that goes back to the Babylonians. They were the first ones to come up with the idea of resolutions, at least as a culture, and it dates back about 4,000 years ago. So far as we can tell, they were the first ones as a nation to also have New Year's celebrations, and they had a festival known as Akitu, and in that they made promises to their gods. And while they may have done that, I suggest to you that resolutions and the idea of that is very biblical. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 3. Wasn't it Solomon that said commit your work to the Lord and all of your plans shall be established? And that word commit is a very interesting word. It means to us the idea of rolling toward. And it was used often in the Old Testament in a literal sense. It was the word that was used of one who took a stone and rolled it over the mouth of a cave. Or it was of a stone or rock that was placed over the mouth of a well. When we are making our plans, it is as if we are saying, God, we are rolling this over to you and asking for your help. Or maybe you want to picture it this way. It's somewhat like a little child or a grandchild who comes up to you with a jar in their hand and they can't get it open. And they're begging with you to help them or maybe they don't know how to turn on that electronic device and so they're appealing to you for help. I'll never forget a a toy that my sister gave Gary, our oldest son. It was one of those obnoxious electric uh, guitars, little toys. And uh, she gave that to him and and when it was powered on and you hit the right button, it would screech out this awful tune. Well, he, when he first got that, didn't know exactly what to do with it, and so he took it to his Aunt Mindy, and she showed him where the power button was, and she showed him where all of those individual tunes were to this day. It holds the distinction of the most briefly owned toy that the boys ever received. But he needed her help, and she was able to do that. You know, if we understand the work that's out before us, what we are saying to God is, God, we are handing this over to you and we're asking you for your help because we can't do it alone. It's beyond us. And anything that we attempt without your help is destined to fail. What I'd like to do by way of introduction this morning is to try to walk us through where we are in rolling out the theme for this year, which is Engaging Everyone for Eternity. That theme is the outgrowth of some some steps that were taken before this point. I suggest to you that our elders are as much men of vision as any that I have ever had the privilege of working with. And what they are suggesting to us year after year is that God is in control. And as God is in control, we want to work according to His will. Back during the height of the pandemic, they sat down together and they began strategic planning. They were saying, we want to clarify what is our vision, what is our mission, and what are our goals as a church? Who do we at Lehman Avenue Church of Christ, who do we seek to be to the glory of God, to please Him? What does that look like here? And out of that, they began to look at the strengths and the opportunities that God has given to us in this place and at this time. And as the result of that, late in 2020, in enlisting some of those who were either deacons or actively involved in various ministries in this church, drafted a vision statement. A vision statement that was very simple that said that the Lehman Avenue Church of Christ is striving to be an authentic, growing family. That is trying to empower our community to please God and to go to heaven. And with that as the vision, again seeking to glorify God, they began to say, well, how do we do that? And they formulated these vision groups, areas where we could uh, leverage the way that God could use us at this time. And as that vision began to be clear and we understood the mission, the mission is what Jesus left the disciples and Matthew, Mark, and Luke to take the gospel to the world and the world begins right where we are. We began to build a bridge from here to there. And you may remember that the bridge, or at least the first plank on that bridge last year, was the idea of building balanced believers. And that was something that was trumpeted often. It was trumpeted through the events that took place. I want you to think about the individuals that were asked to come here, and the emphasis that they made in our pulpit, whether we're talking about Melvin Ote or Robert Hatfield in two of the best gospel meetings that I've ever been a part of from those speakers' perspective, or Dean Miller coming in and addressing our widows. Being balanced is looking at all segments of us, looking inward, looking outward, focusing on doctrine, focusing on devotion. Devotion. And in all of that, trying to be the most well-rounded people of God that we could be. And so the events that were planned last year had that focus is, how can we be more of what God wants us to be in every area of life? And there were some outgrowths from that. There were some results that demonstrated that that was successful. Listen, we'll never achieve everything. If we do, we haven't aimed high enough. But you can look at so much that took place last year that says that you as a church embraced the fact that you wanted to be built. That you wanted to be balanced and that you wanted to grow your faith as a believer. And of course looking at Ephesians chapter 4, 15 and 16. Which is really where we began as we started our strategic planning that we wanted to grow together. Everything seeks to grow out of that and that mission from Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. And you'll see it in the fact that our education vision group tried to honor our teachers in a teacher's banquet. And we had so many new individuals who were a part of our Bible school program. I believe you could see it in the men who stepped forward to teach our adult Bible classes. Men who got up and and stretched themselves by speaking in the Wednesday night devotionals. Two men who stepped forward to serve as elders in this congregation. I believe you could see it in the hunger for the word and the end of the word class that was started. I believe you could see it in our focus on our visitors through beginning an ambitious greeters program. You could see it in the emphasis that was placed in our youth and the activities. The ever robust and growing young adult ministry that's taking place here. When you look at all of that, it seems that you embraced very readily this idea that we want to build balanced believers. So the elders and their continuing vision says, well, what's the next step? What what do we need to do next to continue to further that vision that we believe is a God-honoring vision? It's the idea of engaging everyone for eternity. You notice there's three components there. Engaging, it means I'm not passive I'm not here to be or just to receive. Put me to work. The idea of everyone. That means, and this is something that we'll emphasize throughout this lesson, it doesn't matter how talented you think you are or how invisible you think you are. You matter to God and you matter to us. And we want you, no matter who you are, to consider yourself a part of this message that's given today. Engaging everyone. And why? In view of a never-ending eternity. We refine who we are and why we're here down to its most common denominator, its most, the irreducible minimum, and that is that we're here to prepare for there. And so as we think about the theme of engaging everyone for eternity, may I suggest to you that that was the theme of the Apostle Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. When we began to look at, about what he was saying and what he was about, we see how he emphasizes this idea of engaging everyone for eternity. And as we see that there are sometimes you come across paragraphs or sections of scripture or chapters like 1 Corinthians chapter 12 where there are words that literally jump off of the page at you. And if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 there are some words that seem to just fly off the page. Words like one, and body, and many, and gifts and then all, and members. You you see it in the summary of the chapter, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 27, when he says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members one of another. The Apostle Paul is focusing on the idea that there is a place for everyone, that they must be engaged. And as we'll see at the end of this lesson, it's with an eye toward the eternity to come. So what does it take for us To accept the challenge that the elders have given to us in 2023. To engage everyone for eternity. I believe there are three personal takeaways that all of us should get as we read 1 Corinthians chapter 12. What will it take for every one of us to be engaged for eternity? Number one, you need to acknowledge your God-given gifts You'll see that in verse 7 through 11. In the scripture that Todd read so well a moment ago, he demonstrates something that we'll talk more about in those gifts. The gifts that Paul is talking about to the Corinthians is different from the gifts that we have today. Theirs were miraculous, ours are not miraculous, but all of us have been given gifts. We've been given abilities that we can use. And the Apostle Paul tells us three things about acknowledging those gifts. First of all, it means that you need to be aware of those gifts. That's how Paul begins the entire section in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 1. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. It's easy for us to look at the the person next to us, everybody else in the room. It's easy for us to see what others do well, and it's so easy for us to minimize what it is that we do well. Or in fact, maybe we're not even aware that we have an ability or gift that God wants to use. Perhaps when we see what Paul is saying here, we think in terms of the fact that I I don't have a gift, at least one that's presentable because of my past, of what I was before. And you know, it seems like the Corinthians struggle with that because the Apostle Paul seems to address that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 in verse 2. But what Paul is saying is that when you become a faithful child of God, maybe if you're restored, maybe if you decide I'm not going to just be a a passive member of the body of Christ, but I'm going to be active. Or maybe when you come up out of the waters of baptism, what God is saying to you, verse 3, is is that you have one purpose. That's not just for the preachers and the elders and the deacons and the Bible class teachers. It's not just for... Those who seem more visibly involved, it's for everybody. The newest Christian who is here today, all the way up to the Christian who has been the Christian the longest in this room, to the youngest person in this room, all the way up to the oldest person in this room who can understand what I'm saying. What God is saying is, I want you to be aware of your gifts, your abilities, that they're valuable. understand that you have them. But then he also says, I want you to appreciate the diversity of those gifts. If you're going to acknowledge your God-given gifts, you need to see that they're diverse. And and you look at the the passage there in verse 4 through 6, when Paul lines out what all of those gifts are, you'll notice that they're not all the same. Each one is given those gifts to be used. When you begin to, to walk through what the Apostle Paul says... It's an encouragement for us to see that while theirs were miraculous and ours are not, that God can use every one of us. I'm so thankful that making up the body of Christ are those who perhaps have the ability to speak well. And in the body of Christ, he has those who are able to communicate truth in teaching very well. But I'm also thankful that there are those who have the ability to encourage, to see those who others don't see and reach out to them and to connect with them. I'm so thankful that God has individuals in His body who are good with their hands and who can use that to build physically, literally, in a way that helps to build spiritually. These diversities of gifts are from God, and He wants it to be that way. And He tells us why they exist. They exist for the common good. But then the Apostle Paul would say to us in being aware of that, we also need to apply those gifts for the good of everyone. If you look in verse 7 through 11, God does these things as He wills, verse 11, and He does so for the common good. Throughout 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, even though He's dealing with miraculous gifts, He is saying, look, these things exist. All that you're able to do is so that everyone is going to benefit from that. Now, as you'll notice in verse 7 through 11, there are nine miraculous spiritual gifts. And those gifts were administered all for the same reason. And that was so that the cause of Christ could go forward. You know, when you think about those vision groups, those vision groups represent opportunities. Opportunities for every single one of us. When the vision planning was done, and we talked about those vision groups and how God has blessed us with opportunities, you can see as you go to our website what they are. There are opportunities to use your gifts with regard to missions. We have missions in this country and we have missions overseas. And we're making an emphasis in 2023 on both fronts in this country and abroad to try to strengthen our involvement in those things. And then in education, God has given us these opportunities to use these gifts to strengthen our Bible school program. I wanna commend you for your flexibility We're trying to trace back how long has Lehman Avenue had worship first and then Bible class after that. We we know it's at least 40 plus years and I know there's historians in the group and you can tell us that. But on a dime, you turned around and you did Bible class first and you did worship after that. And the reasons the elders gave us were so sensible. But one of the things is, is it gives us more time to open up God's word and to study and to learn and to grow in our faith and in our knowledge of God's word. But there are opportunities to serve in education. One of those vision areas that you'll find on the website is that there's the opportunity to be involved in the church family. What can we do to edify the body of Christ? To help folks to grow in their faith who are already in the family. And then there's local outreach. God has given us well over 100,000 souls right in this immediate area that we can reach out to on the job, in school, in our daily activities. We need to be reaching out to them with the most important thing that they need, and that's the gospel. That vision group helps us to try to do that. Well, then you think about the fact that there are some more practical things that we deal with when we're together, like Media Tech and as it involves things like the website that are ongoing There are opportunities to be involved when it comes to that. There's that young adult ministry that we're talking about. Reaching out to our college students and our young professionals. Realizing that these burgeoning adults who are just taking their first steps outside of the home, they still need our nurturing, they need our help, and they need to realize that we need their help. That vision group exists for that reason. When you think about the idea that God has given us these various outlets, ways to be involved, God is saying, I need you in some way. You know, when you think about the work of the Lehman Avenue Church, you can look in different directions. There are those ministries that have already been going on for quite some time that still need help. Bible class teachers and those to assist them. There are various ways to lead in the worship of the church. There are tasks like working with our youth, and there, we have an active youth program where there's always a need for chaperones and support. But then you think about some new opportunities that we've not had before. Open doors in 2023 where the elders are saying, here are additional ways for us to be involved. There's a young adult retreat that's about to happen very shortly, in a matter of weeks, and it needs helpers, it needs chaperones, it needs support. There's a youth mission trip. I don't know if it's the first one. It's the first one in a long time. Where we're saying to our young people, you're evangelists now. And we want to encourage you and want to help you to do that. Or it's the equipped workshop, which you've already heard some about. You're going to hear a lot more about in four months. Something that will help hopefully reach out to our community. Will strengthen us and to strengthen our brotherhood. And it needs individuals to help us to move that forward. And then there are the works that take place in every congregation all the time. There are needs that exist in every church on an ongoing basis. How about visitation? There are always people in the hospital that need someone, a a brother or sister in Christ to go and see them. Or those who are in the nursing homes. Or those who are shut in. You know, we have a a, a Bible teacher supply room. It needs organized. It needs straightened on an ongoing basis. There's communion preparation. There is transportation to provide. There are new Christians to mentor. There are those activities. There's hospitality, hospitality to practice in your home. So many Christian activities that God calls upon us to do on an ongoing basis And so what Paul is saying in the very first part of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 as he deals with a different kind of gift, no doubt, is be aware that from the greatest to the least, however you rank that, that you need to be aware of your gifts that God wants you to see it and to use it. But a second and I think equally important emphasis of Paul as he's trying to get Corinth to be engaged every one of them for eternity is the idea that you need to be united in your God-given cause. If you look in verse 12 and verse 13, the apostle Paul says, as the body is uh, one body and many members, just like the physical body, it's that way with the spiritual body, so also is Christ, for by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, that whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free, you've all been made to drink of one spirit. Of all the books in the New Testament, there is not a book that deals more with unity and division than 1 Corinthians. You realize that's the key passage of 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and verse 10, where the apostle Paul says, I beseech you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been declared of me concerning those of Chloe's household that there are quarrels among you. For this I say that every one of you says, I am of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Christ. Is Christ divided? Or was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Paul is driving home the importance of unity, not just in chapter 1, but nowhere does he deal more with it than in chapter 12. And when the apostle Paul gets to chapter 12, from chapter 12 and verse 1, when he says, now concerning spiritual gifts, all the way to chapter 15 and verse uh, 1, where he says, now I tell you, he is dealing about spiritual gifts and the unity that ought to exist in the practice of those gifts. You know, we, we love to see people working together to do important things. And it has become a YouTube sensation. It wasn't a YouTube video, but it was a picture I saw, first of all, of many uh, events like this. It was of an Amish community. And they, there were several of them. I believe it was about 80 in the state of Pennsylvania. And they decided they were going to move a house a 200-year-old colonial-style house. And so with no power tools, they just got all those men together, and they lifted up that house, and they moved it over 150 feet. There have been other stories. There's the Bouganese in Indonesia that lifted together, I don't know how many of them there were, a six-ton house. And then there were the, uh, there was a Filipino community. There was a, a storm that had come in, a, a monsoon, And it threatened through a flash flood to destroy this lady's house. She was old. She couldn't do it herself. And so these individuals grabbed up that house. At one point, they were walking through a raging river. And they took it up and they laid it on a hillside and saved that woman's house from destruction. You know, in a moment like that, what do you do? When someone says, this is urgent. We've got to take care of this now. We've got to do something about it. Everybody, no matter who you are, put your hands to the house and lift it up you need to pull your weight and do what you can and together we'll get it done and that's the challenge that we face at Lehman Avenue we need everybody to get their hands on the house of God and lift it up that was what Paul was trying to get the church at Corinth to do but you know when we think about the fact that we have of all that we do all those different programs, all those different activities, we have one cause and praise God it's his cause When you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you see an emphasis on it being God's cause. You'll notice in verse 6 that God establishes the body as He wills. You'll notice down in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 18 that God has composed the body to function as it does. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 24, the Apostle Paul says that God has composed the body to be in the way that it is. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 28, he says that God assigns the roles and the jobs in the church. You know, it gives me comfort to know that this is God's work that we're doing. And I have never known God to ask His people to do anything to come together in a common cause where He doesn't stand out front and say, I'm going to lead this, you can lean on me. Remember what we said at the very beginning as we resolve? We're carrying it to God. And we're saying, God, we can go so far... But it's beyond dust. We're going to need your help. And how do we carry that out? What The Apostle Paul says is, we have got to be united. And unity in 1 Corinthians was measured in two ways. It was measured in the negative and in the positive. In other words, if we're going to be united, there are some things that we are not to do. And there are some things that we are to do. You can read through 1 Corinthians and see what was not to be done. What was not to be done according to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2 was to measure success with a worldly yardstick. Don't listen to the world's measurement of power and wisdom and importance. What's not to be done is that we're not to line up through strife and envy and be followers of people rather than followers of Christ. Chapters three and four. If we're going to be united, we are not to be distracted and to be disrupted by the presence of sin among us to let sin reign 1st Corinthians chapter 5 through 7 if we're going to be united we can't let our liberties and, and what we're able to do our freedoms to be more important than a brother and sister in Christ who we may cause to stumble 1 Corinthians 8 through 10 and we must not look for ways to divide ourselves to roll into small groups and cliques chapter 11 you see, there are some things that have to be eliminated if unity is going to occur. Attitudes and actions, that have got to be done away with. But I want you to also see that unity is going to be achieved. Everyone's going to be engaged in eternity if we do some things positively. I see at least two things. Number one, imitate the unity of the Godhead. Will you notice that the gifts and the ministries and the effects in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 all come from God? Go back and look at the passage that was read to us this morning. God gave the gifts. Then you look at the Lord, that's Jesus. He he delegated the ministries. And you'll notice that the Father, he empowered the success. Doesn't that sound like Jesus' mindset as he's about to go to the cross? In John chapter 17, he says, Neither do I pray for the apostles alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they may be one. Even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may be one in us. And the glory that you have given unto me, I have given unto them, that they may be one, even as we are one. Do you see that positively speaking? Can you imagine that the Godhead would be divided among itself? That you'd have the Spirit and the Son off to the side trying to create some kind of diversion or distraction or division? It's unthinkable. It's impossible by definition. And so as we look at the Godhead, we realize that if that were the case, there'd be chaos, there'd be trouble. But they're one, and God says, I want you to come together for the common cause. When our elders lay out for us the plan of work this year, and all that we're seeking to accomplish built on top of what's already been the challenge, they delegate those works to men. Many of them are deacons and our vision group leaders. And what we want to do is to encourage them and never to discourage them. And the second thing that he tells us by way of unity being a positive is that we find ourselves positively pursuing unity when we pursue those greater gifts. At the very end of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in verse 31, the Apostle Paul's been talking about these gifts that exist. He says, but I want you to more earnestly desire the greater gifts. In chapter 14, it seems that the idea is those things which glorify God and don't put the attention on self But in chapter 13, it's pursuing the greatest attribute that there has ever been, and that's love. If you think about how if we can emphasize love in the doing of engaging everyone for eternity, there is no challenge too great for us. There is no problem that we cannot overcome. If we will focus on building our love for one another and our love for God, we are going to grow in ways that we've only imagined. The Apostle Paul lays out for us that if we are going to be engaged and engage everyone for eternity, we must be united in our God-given cause. But then also I want you to notice that if we are going to fulfill this challenge that the elders have given to us, we must appreciate our God-given importance. In the second half of the chapter, the Apostle Paul is telling us that we are like a physical body. That in this body, each one has a part. There's more visible parts. There's more, the King James says, comely. There's more attractive parts. There's some that are less attractive. There's some that you don't see, but you rely on them. And every one of them are equally important. You may be a different body part, but you're just as important as anyone else. And God designed the body. He designed it with this diversity to exist. And not only that, we understand how strange it would be if the body were just one humongous big organ. It's not. It's made up of many individual members. And it's inconceivable to think that any one part of the body would say to another part of the body, you're not essential, you're not desired, go away. Every hand, every foot, every ear, every eye, we're not as whole if we're missing those. And so the Apostle Paul is driving home the point that every one of us is important. Everyone has a role to play. Now, as we think about what that means for us and going forward, may I challenge you with a few things? Number one, let us resolve in 2023 not to be a pew sitter. Did you know that if you were a member of the first century church, you literally could not be a pew sitter? Did a little examination into that. I don't know what you think about pews. You may have varying opinions about that. They're not my favorite thing, but we sit on them. But you couldn't sit on them until the 13th century. Did you know that? And at that time, they were just uh, carved out of the rock walls in the uh, assembly places where they met. And that the pews were only used by the frail and the elderly. You know what everybody else did? They stood. They stood throughout that entire... Now, I'm not suggesting that we go back to that. I'm speaking figuratively. I want to challenge you as you think about the gifts that God has given to you to not be content with defining Christianity as simply being what you do when you sit in here during the assemblies. That you challenge yourself to grow your faith to the times outside of these doors and outside of these meeting times. To look at that website and look at those seven areas and to say to yourself... What way can I be involved? What can I do that I'm not doing right now? I realize in every congregation, there's a core group of the already active. And I want to be very careful when I say this because I don't want those who are already conscientious and already doing so much to feel like they've got to take on more and more and more. We've got to search our hearts and our lives and to see, is there more I could be doing? And if so, I resolve not to be a pew sitter this year and then also find out how you can use your god-given gifts and what that means is is you've got to inform yourself and and that maybe begins by praying i love what david said in the long ago in psalm 119 verse 18 when he says open up my eyes that i may behold wonderful things out of your law If if you expand that idea of that to being all of god's word Open my eyes that I may understand wonderful things about what your servant Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Pray. That's something you can do before you take another step. God, how can, please use me. How can I be involved? And then second, it also means trying to get yourself informed. You know, David Chang does so much that we don't often see sometimes in addition to what he does that we do see. He is the graphics guru. He is the, the mastermind of, of all the things that are done by way of our graphics. He also is in charge of the magazine. The magazine the elders asked starting last year that we put out that it kind of gives a state of the congregation. And if you'll look back last year, you can see that that building balance believer could be measured in the number of baptisms and the number of new families and the events that are planned for this year. But in the magazine, and it's getting done and, and going to the printers, you can look at last year's, look at this year's, and say, well, this is what's going on, the congregation. And this is ways in which we're emphasizing our time, talent, and treasure. Then also be plugged into the announcements. Confession. I'm one of the worst at seeing the announcements. But the good thing is there's a lot of different ways to find them. You can find the announcements through, if you're a Facebook user, on the Facebook members page. If you're not uh, in that, I don't even know, are you the administrator of that? i tell you what, David will be able to give you an answer to that. If you want to get on that and you're a member of this congregation and you're not finding out, that's one place to get the news. Another place to get the news is that piece of paper or it's an email that comes to your box that we call a bulletin. And in that has announcements of things that are going on, ministries, events... And then they're projected and then they're spoken. There's different ways. And you know, usually one of those five or six maybe gets in and through to me. But but listen, pay attention, be informed. Find out where you can use your gifts. And then as, as importantly as anything, don't listen to that voice of rationalization in your head. Here's how it plays. Neil's not talking about me. I'm too busy. I've got too many problems. I don't know enough. I'm too young. I'm too old. I'm too new. I've been here too long. Whatever it is that may be going through your head, we're so good at letting ourselves off the hook. You know, Jesus talked about that in Matthew chapter 22 when he says that the kingdom of heaven is like a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and he sent his slaves out to invite those to his feast. And None of them had any interest in it at all. He sent more slaves out, and he told them that the, the oxen and the livestock have been fat and they've been butchered. All things are ready. Come to the feast. But they paid him no attention. One went to his farm, and another went to his business. Boy, the Lord reaches across two thousand years, and He speaks to me, and He says, "Be careful. Don't don't be a rationalizer." Let this be the year where you say, I'm not content to sit in the stands or to stand on the sideline. I want to be in the game. I want to be involved. The Apostle Paul is saying we need to acknowledge our God-given importance, no matter who you are. You know, the Apostle Paul is going to follow up this discussion about spiritual gifts by talking about the resurrection. And what he's doing when he shifts gears there and he gets near the end of his letter is he's pointing these Christians to eternity. In fact, he says, then comes the end. When God, uh, he shall have d- delivered the kingdom over to God the Father when he has uh, overcome all rule and authority and power for he must reign till he has put all of his enemies under his feet and the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. And then he ends it all by saying... Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised, and we shall all be changed. For this perishable must put on imperishable and this corruptible must put on incorruptible. when this perishable puts on the imperishable and when this corruptible puts on the incorruptible, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, Always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. He's saying, engage. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding. He's speaking to the whole church when he writes that, and he's saying, it's for this reason it's because the cemetery is not the end of the road, eternity is. The work of the Lehman Avenue Church of Christ is eternal in its nature. Of all that you do in your given week, the work that you do as a child of God is touching and altering and influencing eternity. There are people out in this community who are searching for the message we already know and they need us to engage them. You see, this is a family that's authentic and growing. but We're trying to empower our community. To please God and to go to heaven, that means they've got to be with us. Maybe you find yourself in a place where you've been sitting and letting others. You've your name's on the roll, it's in the directory, but you really don't find yourself engaged. What a great time to change that! To say there's a place for me, and I want to take my place. Maybe you're a child of God who has other things that have overtaken your passions and affections, and you're saying, this is the time. I want to put that behind me. I want to be restored to the body of Christ. I want to move forward doing what I can. Or maybe it is that you find yourself like a great many lately who examining the Word of God, convicted by the truth of the message that Jesus died for your sins. You believe that message, and you want to act on it. You want to have it change your heart, change your life through repentance. And you want to imitate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus through baptism. That's the engagement that Jesus came to allow all of us to have. We would love to have you to engage yourself in a relationship with Christ through obedience to the gospel. If this is your invitation, we would urge you to come right now as we stand and sing.